Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on moviehousememories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. Welcome to the golden age of the silver screen on the MHM Podcast Network, where each episode we review a film from the 1930s or 40s, and this time, the 50s. I'm Chris. I'm on mute. <laughs> and I'm Patrick. And for this episode, Lori's going to pantomime her review of 1958's The Long Hot Summer, starring... Paul Newman, Joanne Woodward, and Anthony Franciosa. I've never says say his last name right. Franciosa. I, I like Franciosa. Franciosa. More Italian. <laughs> but before we begin, I have a quick summary. Then I'll pantomime along. Please do, for our hearing impaired. When a man named Ben Quick arrived in the small Mississippi town of Frenchman's Bend, his reputation precedes him. Rumor has it that Quick is a notorious barn burner, but he quickly ingratiates himself to the town's wealthiest man, Will Varner, because Will sees a younger version of himself in Ben. At 61 years of age, Will is in poor health, and a large girth. And while he's the town's richest man, his family is a complete disappointment to him because his only son, Jody, and only daughter, Clara, have not given him any grandsons to keep his proud bloodline going. To make matters worse, Clara is on the verge of being an old maid at the ripe old age of 23. Dear Lord. Someone pack her up and send her back to Oklahoma. Um, and she's at a ripe old age because her dandy of a bow. Uh, what was his name? Alan Stevens. I don't know. Uh, has refused. Yep, Alan. Alan. Okay. <laughs> He's refused to ask her for her hand in marriage after st nearly six years, but he lovingly stays by his mother's side the whole time. I don't know what that's saying about him, but okay. Will eventually makes a deal with Ben to marry Clara in exchange for making Ben one rich SOB. That's Lori's term, not mine. The only problem, Clara hates Ben's guts and Jody hates him even more. And we all know that's going to cause a lot of issues the next time a barn goes up in flames. And that is a brief summary of The Long Hot Summer. Or you can put your hands down now. That was short, a short and cold winter. Patrick, you got any numbers for this wonderful, wonderful film? I, I do. Really, uh, Long Hot Summer was released on March 13th, 1958. Same year as, the, as South Pacific, uh, Anti-Mame. Is it Anti-Mame or Anti-Mam, Lori? 
Same. I thought so. Uh, Cat on the Hot Ten Roof, another film with Paul Newman. No Time for Sergeants, The Young Lions, and Chris's all-time favorite film, Gigi. So, made on a budget of $1.5 million, it grossed $3.5 million in North America, placing it behind such films as The End of the Sixth Happiness, Some Came Running, and Indiscreet. Uh, Paul Newman won the Best Actor Award at the Cannes Film Festival that year for this film and this role. Uh, the film was one of the 400 movies nominated for AFI's 2002 100 Years, 100 Passions list. Ultimately, did not make the top 100. Uh, it was made into a television series that ran from 1965 to 1966. And the film itself was remade into a television miniseries with Don Johnson, Sybil Shepard, and Jason Robards and Ava Gardner. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has this at 86% critics and 83% audience. And that is the numbers on Long Hot Summer. That's a pretty decent cast for that TV show. Yeah, but it's really, really odd that you you immediately think Sybil Shepherd is playing the role that Joanne Woodward played because she was probably the more famous, uh, a fairly famous actress. This is the, this is in the days of Moonlighting in the eighties. I mean, Miami Vice and Moonlighting. She's actually playing Ula or Eula. So she's not playing the female lead. Judith Ivy played the female lead to Don Johnson. Okay. Really? Well, Lee Remick's no. I mean, she's awesome. I know, but she's, this is early yeah. in Lee Remick's career. Not, and, and don't get True. me wrong I, at that, but Sybil Shepard had, had a long established career. Judith Ivy was a fairly, I mean, I wouldn't say she was unknown, but she was still kind of up and coming at that time. And, uh, to be honest with you, I'm not judging anybody by their looks, but I think Sybil Shepard is more attractive than Judith Ivy. So not that Judith Ivy is bad looking, especially in the 80s, but I, I just, I've always, it wasn't until I researched this, I've never, I saw, I saw the, that miniseries back in the day, but I didn't recall who was cast and what, and I just presumed that she was playing the female lead, but she's not. You know, I had thought I had seen this film before. But as I watched this film, I think I was thinking of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Um, had either of you seen this film before we decided to review it, uh, Patrick? Well, it's funny you say that because I could have swore that I had seen this film before. And when I'm watching it, I went, I have not seen this film before. I know I wanted to see it. I remember like uh, ads for it on television, uh, especially back in the 80s, around the time that the miniseries was coming on. I remember like uh, WGN running like television you know, or like commercials for, you know, this Saturday, the long hot summer with Paul Newman. And that, and I, for some reason I always thought I'd seen it, but watching it, I was like, Nope, this, uh, this is not familiar at all. I, I had never, never seen it. Funny story. I too had thought I'd seen it <laughs> <laughs> and I had not. We're the worst reviewers ever. Either that or it's an easily forgettable film. One of the one of the two options. We've just never saw it. it. But it's weird that it was released the same year as Cat on the Hot Ten Roof, a film that I know we have reviewed over on Movie House Memories. Uh, and, I, and I very much distinctly love and like a lot. Uh, and this was released the same year and has a lot of similarities to that film. I think Orson Welles has a few pounds on Burl Ives at this point, though. I think so, but I think that was mainly in the nose. 
so since this is everyone's first time seeing it, what did you think of the overall story of it? I haven't seen a whole lot of Paul Newman films from back in the day, to be honest with you, but he seems to like to play this type character. I thought this is probably the most blue of his eyes I have seen in any films. They, they definitely did some close-ups of them, but uh, what did you think of the overall story, Lori? It was very dark. I don't know. It just had such a Tennessee William vibe, didn't it? Yes, I would have um, sworn that he had written it, to be honest. Me too. Me too. I think that's why we're confusing it. But um, so, yeah, I, um, it was it was an interesting story. I think there's a lot of underlying things that you could look at. Why didn't Alan want to marry her? Um Yuli, I think there was a lot more to her character that was kind of hinted at. And, um, and I, and I think that, um, oh my goodness, Paul Newman's character, my mind just went blank. Mr. Quick. Thank you. Ben Quick had a lot more to him. Like, I'm really curious about him and just, so it, it was really interesting how they gave you just enough, but you but I never was sure about anyone and what they're, except for even the father. I mean, that, that, um, that one scene was, was really touching when, um, when his son almost killed him and then saved his life. So <laughs> that was, there, there's a little humor of that. I kind of <laughs> laughed when that happened, but yeah. it was weird. But at the same time, it, it was like, I don't know. These are fit his character. These are very interesting characters, and they they really surprised me throughout. Nothing was. I didn't think anything was predictable about this story. You know, uh, once again, I I would also have agreed with you that I thought this was a Tennessee Williams story, not a William Faulkner story. Uh, I, I I thought the same thing. I was, as Laurie said, it was very dark. I actually thought it wasn't as dark as I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be more kind of murder mystery, almost for a lack of a fifties version of body heat uh, that, you know, that Paul Newman was going to kill Orson Welles uh, and to somehow get himself in with the family or kill the brother, one or the other. I, I, that's where I honestly thought this was going. So it never went as dark as I expected it to be. I agree with Lori. There's a, a tremendous amount of subtext where we're going to hint at something Thing, but we're not going to talk about it directly. And, you know, this is, I, I think a lot of that is so that they could get things by the film code. And I'd be very curious. I, I, as I said, I, I, I think I saw parts of the eighties television miniseries, uh, but I didn't watch it in r- really good detail. Maybe even not, there was two nights of it. And I don't think I watched both nights. And I wonder if that do- dove into a lot of the subtext as to all the kind of secondary characters of who they were and what they were about. But uh, I, I, there was a lot uh, implied, and I'm very curious on Chris's perspective because I know he likes, uh, you know, uh, amb- ambiguity about characters, and there is a lot of ambigu- ambiguity about most of the characters in this film. Uh, I think that's what I like about this film, to be honest. Uh, you can read it a lot of ways, and like you, I really thought that Ben was going to kill Jody. I thought he was going to bury him in that ditch that he was that he was digging, and then Dad would come along, and he's like. 
proud of Ben and <laughs> they were going to go from there. And somehow he would end up married to Claire, the murderer of her brother whom she loved and adored. But I guess that's too dark for 1958 even. I mean, there are films that would have done that. I mean, it's, it wasn't unheard of. Uh, this was kind of a major mo- uh, movie from a studio, so I, I can see why maybe they didn't go that far. And You know, I've got a question for you. This was 20th Century Fox that made it, right? Correct. And if I remember correctly, um, Paul Newman was a Warner Brothers guy, right? Correct. He was on loan for, I think, they, the 20th Century Fox paid Warner Brothers $75,000. The only reason why it puzzles me is because when I was putting this together for the website, it, Warner Brothers is the one who released it on DVD. I don't, I'm not aware of an actual Blu-ray for the United States, but in, Warner Brothers does that a lot, anyways. But uh, when I watched this, it was on HBO, which is pretty much Warner Brothers-owned films mainly, and so I was wondering if there was some deal post-release that the rights have reverted to Warner brothers. Do you know, Patrick, did you read that at all? No, I didn't see anything about the rights reverting. I know 20th century Fox at various times in the last, well, at this point, 60, 70 years have sold off elements of their library to other studios. So uh, although it may have been released as a 20th century Fox film in 1958, but 20 years later, it may, may have been purchased by a different studio who owned the rights to it for distribution purposes, you know, uh, VHS, ultimately DVD, uh, and then Blu-ray. So I, it, it may have gone to Warner Brothers. Because I, I know, God, who was it? Was it Paramount that sold off some of their library mm-hmm. just a couple of years ago? And now that we're into the streaming world, it's it's just, uh, it, it's hard to tell who's got what rights to what. Right. Because so many different things have changed hands over the years. Before we get into the actors, I was kind of curious what version or how you saw this film, because I saw it on, like I said, HBO max, and it was a beautifully restored, uh, high definition version as high def as HBO gets. Uh, but, um, the cinema scope looked amazing. And I think right off the bat, that was one of the things that struck me about this film before I even got into the story was how beautiful it looked. Um, Lori, how did you watch this? I watched it on the voodoo account (laughs) (laughs) and it was beautiful. It was Patrick. What quality are the voodoo videos that you have? Uh, I think I have that one in ultra high definition. Um, double check. Uh, that's where a lot of mine are now. Cause I know I just recently purchased it and pretty much every time I purchase anything anymore, I, since I dropped my phone, um, that's, that's what I get it in. I mean, it's not necessarily uh, ultra high D- HD, but it probably is pretty, uh, pretty it's, it's probably as good a picture as you're going to get. It was wonderfully restored. I don't think I saw any burns or scratches or anything for this edition that was on HBO Max. So I, I was really impressed by that when I watched it. Almost distracting, actually. Actually, take that back. It was only in high definition. It was not ultra high definition. Okay. But there is an ultra high definition version of this. So I had it in the highest quality you could get. Um, so let's talk about actors. Uh, principal actors, Paul Newman. And uh, I guess 
we should mention them hand in hand, Joanne Woodward, because this is the first time that they worked together in a film. And were they married at this time or did they get married during the film? They got married after the film, before the, I think before the premiere. She was pregnant. She got pregnant. Didn't she have the miscarriage before the premiere? Just like a couple of weeks before the premiere or something like that. Okay. Uh, Patrick, but this is, what do you think of Robert, Robert Redford? Oh my God. What <laughs> is it? <laughs> oh shit. What the hell is my problem tonight? Uh, what did you think of Paul Newman? They were buddy. <laughs> they were. Yeah. He played one of the like bar flies sitting on the porch. <laughs> you need to go talk to Varner. <laughs> so, uh, I, I love Paul Newman, especially during this era. I mean, I, I, it, he did, mm-hmm. does distinctly have a type. Um, you know, Long Hot Summer, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, HUD, uh, Cool Hand Luke. There's a very there's a similarity to a lot of the the characters, almost the anti-hero, um, the an older rebel without a cause, if you will. Uh, I, I I really like him, and I think he's an uh, it was an amazing I think he was an amazing actor throughout the entirety of his career. But I really liked him during this time frame, and I thought he made some of his best films very very uh, early on, and I thought he was outstanding standing in this and those abs that dude was ripped i'm pretty jealous like i know he's a good looking dude but man he was physically fit in this film yep all the popcorn he ate all the popcorn Lori, what'd you think of robert robert uh, god damn it <laughs> what did you think of I, i've got it in my head now. what did you think of paul robert redford's pretty dreamy as well but yeah um, you know how it's like Beatles or Stones? I would be, a, if it was Robert or Paul, I'd be Paul. I'm just saying. Everybody. But, um, <laughs> but, I mean, I like them both. But um, he's amazing in this. I don't even, I don't even know what to say. I, I just think he was perfection in this role. And like you said, the way that he played it, you didn't know... I think it's it's the way it was written, but also the way that he played it, where I just didn't know what he was gonna do. I, I just I could see his his you know the wheels turning in his head, and I just didn't know where this was going. And I think I think it was not only the script, but it was also um, his acting. And I just think he he played this role to perfection. Did you guys see the the documentary, The Last Movie Stars? I think it was called about their their relationship. I have not watched it, and I do want it's to. It's really see good. It. It's really good. I recommend it. I enjoyed his performance in this as well. Uh, I, I I never believed that he was a barn burner like they accused him in this film, but uh, I never knew if he was on the level. You never knew what was behind those eyes if he was playing the long game or if he was legitimately just going with the flow. And uh, I think that speaks, well, it does speak to the writing, but I think it speaks to Paul Newman's delivery. But uh, Joanne Woodward, wonderful actress herself. Uh, She is the fire spark, a little bit cliched. I thought, you know, come off very strong, immediately hates the lead character. And I immediately think she's going to end up with him at the end of the film. But uh, what did you think of her in this film, Lori? You know, I have to be honest. I never really 
I don't know. I never really had a strong opinion about her. I didn't like her as much as I like Paul Newman, but, and I honestly hadn't seen her in a lot of films, but I've really come to appreciate her more in her acting. And, and I think she's really good in this. Um, her character is kind of an interesting character. It kind of took me time to warm up to her, which I think is also a credit to her acting. I think the way that she started and then the way that the character developed. And and then again, after watching that documentary, I it just really gave me a, a new appreciation for her that when they, I didn't realize that when they were, when they got together, she was the, she was the bigger star. And then um, she kind of made some sacrifices and stuff. And, and then he ended up with a bigger career. So it was just, it's, it's interesting, but um, yeah, I, again, I just think that her acting in, in this, she just really brings that character to life. And I, I can't see anybody else playing those two roles, honestly, the way that they did. If I think there's a weakness in this film, I think it's Joanne Woodward because I didn't find much really interesting about her performance. I, as much as Chris said, it was like, yeah, her disinterest in the male lead and he knows instantly he's going, she's going to end up with him. I agree. I felt the same way. Um, however, I felt the disinterest continued all the way throughout the entirety of the film that she and it was the best option she had and that's why she's kind of accepting as of his advances but i i don't believe a a real love connection between the characters i i like joanne woodward i've seen her in many other films and i thought she had and she's a very talented actress i didn't think she was that good in this film and i i, I as i said probably the weakest performance of everyone on the on screen it's a lot of pressure 23 years old old maid and you're in a small town uh with limited options i i, I empathize greatly because she deserved better i think and i i disagree i i feel like he was the first person to ask her what do you want and to care about her opinion and i think that's why she fell for him i believed it I get that. I know that's where the story is. I just don't buy it from the performance. I don't see that, that like emotional intensity underneath the eyes as far as an acting performance. I, I, I'm not saying that's not what the characters are supposed to do. I'm just saying I didn't, I didn't like her performance. Do you believe her slap? Yeah, she does a fine slap. <laughs> the other big actor in this film was Orson Welles, who weighed in over 300 pounds from Parts Unknown. I was startled. I, I know that Orson had weight issues, but uh, I was startled when I saw him in this film. But other than that, I know he did not like being on this film, had lots of trouble on the film, but I still think he did a wonderful acting job. Still too close to Big Daddy from Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. I don't know if that was on purpose or what, but... Um, I did enjoy Orson Welles' performance overall in this one. Patrick, what did you think of him? You know, I didn't, <laughs> it was probably my first indication I'd never seen this film. Was when I saw Orson Welles' names in, in the credits, I went, Orson Welles is in this? <laughs> like, I didn't even realize it. Um, yeah, it is a direct knockoff of Big Daddy from Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. I, 
he's got a much darker persona. And I think I like this character better uh, because there's there's subtlety to him and there's that, you know, you, you can see why he kind of takes to the Ben Quick character. Yeah, as you kind of said in your summaries, it, it reminds him of him and, you know, how he pulled himself up by his bootstraps and married above his station in life and, and accomplished something. And, you know, that, that, that his son is, you know, has never been a man, never, you know, never accomplished anything. He's for a small, for a lack of a better term, he's, he's soft and he's weak. And not until he tries to kill his own father, does he show some sort of strength, you know, and, and then he, then he gains the respect of his father who literally saves him from potentially going to prison or jail for trying to kill him. So, uh, you know, it's, I thought it was a really interestingly written character and I thought there was some good performances of it. Uh, I, it was interesting to read the behind the scenes stuff about how he hated making this film, uh, mainly for, I guess, weather and locale, uh, but uh, and and he only made it to pay off a tax debt. <laughs> so, but I I thought he d- gave a decent performance. And on top of that, his classic noir film Touch of Evil came out about a month before this film, uh, Long Hot Summer, if I remember correctly. So he was still finishing up working on that while making this film. So he was under quite a bit of stress, I believe, at the time. He was stress eating. That's what happened. That, that could be. And, you know, one of the things I did like about his character, Laurie kind of, I think, mentioned this before about where he gives that speech to Clara at the end of the film where um, he talked about how he married uh, the most wonderful woman in the world, how he, he had that. And what I find interesting is that he sees a lot of himself and Ben quick and he chose Clara to marry Ben that that's who he was rooting for even as brash as he was so I think in a roundabout his own way of saying he thinks Clara is also the most wonderful woman in the world and I think that little scene I don't know if she actually knew it because you know once again me reading into stuff but I think that's the the poignant moment that uh, his character brought through is that he truly did love his daughter she was the favorite one more than Jody. Well, she, she had strength. She was determined. Despite yeah. what her father wanted her to do, she was going to do whatever the hell she wanted. While Jody is, he was so desperate to, to please his father that he didn't, he didn't respect him. He hadn't respect him since the boy threw water balloons at him. That was the last time dad respected his son. Right, Lori? Looks like it. So what did you all make of Alan, Clara's bow of six years? I thought there was something weird going on with him and mom, which I think was intentionally meant to be said. But am I reading too much into that relationship? No, that's just weird. Very weird. Something terribly weird between that mother and son duo. Even kind of reminded me of what's that syndrome where the mom wants the child sick? Or the parents. Another thing, yes. Munchausen syndrome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe she was poisoning him. I wonder if uh, he knew anybody who saw dead people. <laughs> but no, I got that vibe as well, Lori. And I, 
this is one of the things, you know, that we mentioned at the beginning. There's a lot of very interesting characters that there's a lot of subtext and that you can read into. It's granted. I was no Richard Anderson as the boss on six million dollar man and bionic woman. That's where um, so I saw it, him. Knew him from. It was killing me. No, no, I saw him on, on there. I was like, ah, what is he doing there? Where's Steve Austin? But, uh, <laughs> it, it was, it was a bizarre relationship. I, I, I was trying to figure out what I'm supposed to take from it. Is it that he's secretly a closet homosexual and his mother kind of covers for him? Or is it there's a sexual relationship between the two of them that, that, you know, that, that, uh, and Joanne Woodward is just kind of, for lack of a better term, his beard in one, comp- in one way or the other. I, I don't know what they were trying to imply in that other than it was a unhealthy relationship that he did not want to end for whatever reason. But yet I felt like he really cared about Joanne Woodward or Clara. So that's what was so interesting is that these, these people were just so unpredictable. I will agree with you on that, that I think he cared for, but I think his, his depth of emotion ended at essentially friendship. I, he did, he was not a romantic, he was not romantically inclined towards her or any other woman. Well, other than the mother, young other woman, than mom. Yeah. Uh, last person I wanted to talk about was Angela Lansbury, who I absolutely loved in this film. We didn't see enough of her. Uh, her name was what? Miss Little John? What? What the hell was her mm-hmm. name? Minnie Little Mini, John. Minnie Little John. Uh, I guess Will's uh, I, I girlfriend, mistress. I don't know. Fiance. Fiance. Um, but I think that uh, the fact that she decided without him even asking her that they were getting married. And just started planning the the wedding for him. It, it cracked me up because here was this big brute, very loud man who always got his way. And this woman, even though it, clearly he cared about her and vice versa, she, she bullied him into marriage, which I think he appreciated. And I kind of get the impression that he preferred strong women. I'm thinking that his wife, whom we never saw, was a very strong woman like Clara. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, he really admires people with um, a spine. And and so I believe that as, as much as he um, admires his wife, I think that she, I agree that she probably was somebody with a strong character and a strong backbone. And uh, I think, I mean, obviously that's what he likes about Clara and that's what disappoints him so much in Jody. It's interesting that I would never have expected Angela Lansbury to play that role. Um, it seems a little, I don't know. She always will be, what's, what, what's her name? Fletcher from <laughs> Murder, She Wrote. Mrs. Potts? Well, that too. I guess she'll be that. <laughs> but <laughs> Jessica. So, yeah, just a few months ago, Lori and I were reviewing Manchurian Candidate, where she essentially pay, plays a <gasps> Russian spy. And with a strange relationship with her son. With her, yeah. Uh, weird. But <laughs> Was that with Robert Redford, Lori? <laughs> yeah. it, it, it was with, uh, with, with Sundance. But 
it it you know it's it it was there wasn't enough of her in it i, I agree with you that there was similar there there was i can see why uh, orson wells's character likes her once again she fits the mold of the people he likes she she knows what she wants she speaks her mind she doesn't pull punches and she's not just catering to his favor you know she she has her own agenda and she's going to move on from it. Uh, interesting enough, Ava Gardner played her in the television miniseries, which I thought was really interesting because uh, that would be, a, I don't think of Ava Gardner and Angela Lansbury in the same kind of vein as far as kind of a uh, mistress or a, a sultry side girl, if you will. And, and I, and, and that's essentially what she was kind of playing in this. I mean, I don't know how far the relationship goes back if it goes back to when uh, Varner's kid's mother was still alive, if he had that on the side the entire time. She seemed to enjoy playing that role, too. Yes, she did. Before we close this out, I kind of wanted to talk about the ending of the film. And while I enjoyed it for, I think this was a two-hour film, I would say they wrapped it up a little too quickly for my taste and it was too sunshine sprinkles for me. I was just wondering if, if you all uh, felt the ending was a little bit too quick for you, the, the wrapping up the neat little bow, all that. Uh, if I'm just, I don't know if I'm just being silly about it, but what did you think of the ending, Lori? I liked it. It did come quickly, but that didn't bother me. Um, I really didn't, didn't know how I, how it was going to end because I thought that Clara might marry him just because her father was going to make her marry him. But I didn't, I didn't see her falling in love with him. But I, I think the way that it happened where she, where she was just like, wow, he really respects me. I mean, yeah, maybe I, I guess maybe I can see what you're saying, Patrick, maybe they need a little bit longer of a courtship, but I think she was just willing to, at that point she was willing to give him a, a chance and, and, and possibly saw what her father saw in him at that moment. But I, I liked the ending. I didn't think it was, um, I, I was really satisfied with it. I didn't think it was too sprinkly. I agree with Chris that <laughs> it, it, it came very, very quickly. There was a lot to, you know, and there was a lot still going on. We, you know, you didn't have a resolution to Ben Quick and whether he was kind of this, uh, you know, pyromaniac burning down barns. It was, or if he was actually going to do the reputation. You got what's Jody and his father to wrap up. You got Ben Quick and uh, Joanne Woodward. Ben Quick and, you know, and Varner himself as to what relationship he's going to have with them. And everything resolved within about five minutes. And that seemed exceptionally quick. I've already communicated. I didn't buy the love relationship between uh, Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward, not the actors, but the characters. Um, and th that that just it seemed out of place because, and, I, and I, I blame a lot of that on the acting a little bit on the story uh, because because they, they rushed to this end. You didn't get to me, a satisfying courtship where finally you can, where these two people who've been to a large extent fighting this suddenly accept what they're truly feeling. And that wasn't, to me, it was, it, it did not pay off. Lori, do you think that uh, Jody and Alan ended up together? 
happily ever after? I don't, but I, <laughs> I saw, um, some sweet, cause I really didn't think Yuli loved Jody. I thought she just kind of saw him as a meal ticket, you know, and, you know, when they were on the porch and the, and the young men were cat calling her and stuff, I just thought, oh, she's probably running around town. But then there was some real tenderness between them when his father had rejected him and she, she held him. So again, the character surprised me. I just, I didn't know what these people, just when I thought I had them figured out, they went and did something that totally surprised me. And I think that's what made these characters so real and so interesting. All right. After all said and done on a scale of one to five, do you consider this film a bad one or do you give it a high five? Laurie. Um, I, you know, based on the script and the acting, I'm going to give it a four. I'm going to agree with Lori that, uh, it's, I expected I was going to like this more. Um, I wasn't, uh, I already stated what I thought was going to happen. I thought it was going to be a darker film. I still like the film. I think there's still really good performances. I think there's a really good, uh, story. I think the direction was great. I thought the locales were outstanding. I, the the location shoot in Louisiana I thought was a, a, amazing. I, I really felt like you were there, uh, and you could really feel the sweat coming off Orson Welles. Uh, but <laughs> probably smell it too. Yeah. Uh, but I I it was it's the this film always always has lived in my memory as almost a companion piece to Cat on a Hot Ten Roof, unjustifiably so even though they were released the same year and they have the same lead actor, there's a lot of similarities and this is but a pale comparison to that film. I think that film is a much better film, a five star film. Uh, so this one, uh, very, very good still, but four stars. Well, I, I'm going to agree with you all as well. I think that four stars is, is very apt for this one. I ding it for the, the, the quick wrap up of the film and it being a little too close to get on the hot tin roof, but I did enjoy it and I'm glad I watched it. I'm not sure I would watch this one again. I think I would watch instead cat on a hot tin roof, but um, it was still a great film. I have very little bad to say about this one. Uh, I do enjoy Orson Welles, even with that fake prosthetic nose that was distracting to me. All right. Well, that's it for our review of a long, hot summer. Please let us know what you think of the film in the comments section and for our listeners over on moviehousememories.com. Please rate it from one to five stars on that page as well. If you enjoyed today's review, please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, the MHM Podcast Network, where we have many, many more film reviews from yesterday, today, and even beyond. Until the next time at the big show, when we will review another classic from the 1930s or 40s. Patrick, do you know what we were doing next? I don't know offhand. Operation Petticoat. Operation Petticoat. That's not 1940s, is it? 50. 53? I think you're early 50s. Yeah. Uh, so we're going out of the comfort zone again. Uh, until next time, I'm Chris. I'm Lori. And I'm Patrick. And that is a wrap.
This podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The theme song for the golden age of the Silver Scream, Hyper Fun, is brought to you by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the golden age of the Silver Screen, the MHM Podcast Network, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.